We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney. It's October 29th, the Monday of Week 8. So lots of games from Sunday to break down. And, of course, a Patriots-Bills matchup. We are sponsored by Fantasy Draft. And we're rolling into the trade deadline. That's 4 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday afternoon. So we may get some player movement, which may open up some opportunities for extra pickups, even beyond the waiver wire episode that uh, John does with Jake Latarski each Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter. Tim is at Tim underscore Heaney. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can also tweet at us at Rotowire. Go to at Rotowire NFL for all the player news in Twitter form. And you can find us on Facebook. Just search Rotowire over there. Tim, how's your uh, Monday morning going here in the, the early hours? Oh, it's going okay. Um, I actually went to the WWE pay-per-view last night, so my voice is, is less enthralling than it usually is. So I uh, hope everybody can uh, help slog with me through that. But uh, otherwise, good. Uh, another interesting uh, slated games yesterday, and I'm sure it's something to uh, maybe irritate all the boys in Madison a little bit too much. Yeah, it's going to be an angry office. I mean, usually if you have an early morning pod, only a few people are in, so I didn't get to hear a lot of the rage. Most of it was directed at Ty Montgomery, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that game in just a little while. Uh, let's dive right in. Let's start with the London game. The Eagles 
pulled off the Jags for a 24-18 win. There's a cover in there as well by the Eagles. So uh, kudos mm-hmm. to those of you who are on the correct side of that one. You know, with the Jags having several players uh, get arrested in London the night before the game for, for trying to jump the bill on a, at a nightclub, I guess, is, is the full story on that one. Hey, well, I mean, a team that's used to its quarterback overthrowing things and underthrowing things, kind of missing the mark on a on a check makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really <laughs> so. does. It's uh, it's weird. Like it, This is a Jacksonville team that looked so good last year defensively. Now they fall to 3-5. and five. Bortles went 24-41. Threw for 286, had a touchdown, no interceptions. He was sacked four times. The running game was non-existent in this one. Carlos Hyde had six carries for 11 yards. TJ Yeldon, two for seven. If you played Yeldon, he bailed you out with his passing game contributions. A team-high seven catches on a team-high nine targets. 83 yards, also a team-high. Everything else in that offense was a mess, though. I mean, there was a lot of targets scattered across the usual suspects. Moncrie, DJ Chark. D.D. Westbrook and Keelan Cole, and it's come to this point, Tim, where I don't trust any of the Jacksonville pass catchers right now. Well, T.J. Yeldon, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. Full of checkdowns, yeah. <laughs> he, he's the only guy, but I mean, like, as far as the receivers, the tight ends go, it's just kind of an empty cupboard. I mean, D.D. seems to be the best because he can kind of sit down in zones and be that guy that that Bortles could just, could just you know, um, settle for, I guess, more so, but, you know, Keelan Cole, I mean, he lost a fumble yesterday, sure, but that's a talent that's being wasted in this offense. Absolutely. Now, the Philadelphia offense had a pretty good day, at least through the air. Carson Wentz, 21 of 30 for 286, three touchdowns. He was sacked four times, picked off once, but 9.5 yards per attempt against the Jacksonville defense. Sure, it's in a neutral environment, but that's still very impressive. Uh, Jordan Matthews showed up, four for 93 on five targets. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, three for 49 on six. Wendell Smallwood was the most valuable of the running backs because he scored in the passing game. If he had not done that, it would have been a total mess for the running backs because Josh Adams actually led this team in carries and in rushing yards, 9 for 61 yesterday. But Philadelphia is going right back into that same mode we saw before they acquired Jay Ajayi last year where they're really just scattering all of the workload across multiple backs, and now it seems to be almost a three-headed monster that Doug Peterson's employing again. Yeah, I mean, Adams does make a lot of sense for them to... Uh, I mean, it kind of took them a while to get going, but then you saw Adams kind of take over and kind of have the in-the-clock-killing type of mode later on. Uh, I mean, the smaller play was a lot of yards after the catch, so, you know, take that for what you will. You know, Corey Clement, I, or I, I think that Adams kind of affects him a lot more because he would be the interior runner most of the time as a compliment to Smallwood, so I think Adams being that guy, you know, say a standard scoring lead, could be the one to kind of take the reins now. If the Eagles do have that uh, that game flow that that, um, that that would you know let them control possession instead of trying to you know play catch up in, in this point, but Smallwood is probably you know at least a one A moving forward because he is a little bit more versatile. Couple injuries of note here: Lane Johnson, the starting right tackle for the Eagles, injured his knee on the Eagles' opening drive. He did not come back in this game. Jason Peters had a concussion evaluation. He actually returned after halftime. Jalen Mills, one of their corners. Uh, missed the rest of the game after leaving in the third quarter. The Jags uh, lost a few players as well. Quinton Meeks was starting for A.J. Bouye. He left in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. So that's that's part of it, the Jacksonville defense. Big reason. Team. They've had yep. a lot of injuries they've been dealing with too. So there yep. could be some bounce-back potential. You know, Coming off the London game, they'll have a bye in Week 9. Maybe that helps them get back on track for the second half of their season. Uh, but you look at the other kind of notable performances here or lack thereof. Elshon Jeffrey, just four for 35 on five targets. Pretty quiet day for him. Not Ramsey. a huge, huge surprise with Ramsey 
being on him. I think it's going to be a nice bounce back week for Jeffrey coming back in week 10 once the Eagles resume their schedule. Uh, Dallas Godert comes up with another TD, which, you know, Zach Ertz scored and ended up having a decent day, but every time Godert finds the end zone, if you're a Zach Ertz owner, you think, why couldn't that have been Ertz? Yep. Uh, also, if you're a Nelson Aguilar owner, it's like, you know, they're sharing that number three receiver role, basically. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a frustrating own right now, too, even though Nelson yep. Aguilar looks like he's playing well. He's just not getting quite as much volume as you exactly. might hope. Let's go to Pittsburgh. The Steelers, 33-18 winners over the Browns. Uh, Antonio Brown and James Conner really just kind of dominated in this one. Conner had a monster day, a little bit of a slow start for him and a few of the other running backs that were you know, cash game building blocks from a DFS perspective this weekend, but 29 total touches, 212 yards from scrimmage for James Conner, two touchdowns. Antonio Brown had six for 74 and a pair of TDs as well. Uh, it's it's hard for other guys to produce when you have two guys that score four times like that. So not surprisingly, Vance McDonald will look quiet at three for 47 and Juju just four for 33 on six targets. But James Conner is doing everything in his power to completely derail Le'Veon Bell's case to get a big payday from the Steelers. We know the chances of that happening were already low coming into the season, and now I think they're effectively zero because Connors has been that good. A leverage gone. Been All for gone. Weeks, like for the little sure. bit of leverage he had is gone. For weeks it's been gone, yeah. So. Totally decimated. So uh, really impressive showing. I mean, he, he looks really good and they're yeah. they're using him the same way they use bell which has really vaulted him up to the kind of player that if we were drafting today for the rest of the season james connor would be scooped up with a, a first round pick there's really no doubt about that top five pick or so yeah i would i would probably put him in that ring cleveland's yeah. offense sputtered again there are rumors that todd haley might be on the way out and you kind of wonder like is that the right choice or <sighs> should hugh jackson be shown the door but baker mayfield was 22 of 36 at 180 yards, a couple touchdown passes, was picked off once, only sacked twice. I, I thought Mayfield was going to be uh, harassed a bit more frequently by the Steelers' pass rush, and uh, I thought that sack total would be closer to four or five, especially this being on the road. So that wasn't as much of a disaster as expected, but five yards per attempt is a pretty ugly number. And the two touchdowns went to Antonio Callaway and set the valve. So David and Joku owners and Jarvis Landry owners are tilting pretty pretty hard this morning i mean you know when you look at landry and joku that's a that's a weaponry that you think would be pretty good for quarterback but then the depth is just kind of doesn't really fall into play callaway that was kind of like a, a lofted touchdown that kind of fell past the defender uh really quickly and it's just you know duke johnson only had four touches <laughs> i mean i don't know if you blame that on haley if you blame that on jackson but i think that's a guy that would help a mayfield to get more involved i mean mayfield does look downfield a little bit more so than like a tyrod taylor but I think that's a mid-range weapon that could really kind of help this offense and not utilizing him is a mistake on whoever's part it is. Uh, Nick Chubb, I, I thought Nick Chubb would be better against the Steelers because their run defense has been a little bit weaker, but I just kind of think they played the offensive uh, tendencies really well. So, um, yeah, I, I, t- I tend to blame Hugh Jackson more than Todd Haley <laughs> on these things, but, you know, what do I know? I mean, Hugh's the common denominator of the Browns <laughs> being really, really bad for the last few seasons. That They've been bad before him, too, but they're not getting better, even though the talent is a lot better. The other interesting thing about Chubb and Duke Johnson, both were targeted three times. And I've said this before, Nick Chubb didn't catch passes at Georgia because they had Sony Michelle and they had to find ways to get Michelle on the field. I don't know if that lack of usage at Georgia has anything to do with his inability to actually handle the role. And I continue to be kind of curious to see 
if the Browns are going to involve him more. But it is strange to me that with a rookie quarterback, especially, that Duke Johnson wouldn't be more active in the passing game. You know, Jarvis Landry was a target monster. Again, 12 targets, 8 catches, but just 39 yards. It continues to be mostly junk, empty production from Landry with Mayfield at the helm. And that Njoku donut was bad for season-long owners and for DFS players alike. He was a cash game building block at tight end this week, and he came up with nothing. Yeah, very surprising. Like I said, the Steelers back into that defense is something that you thought you'd be able to kind of uh, take advantage of. But, you know, like I said, there's just a little bit of disarray now, and I don't think he's going to force it to Njoku, which is, you know, not the best thing for, for his numbers. But, yeah, you thought there'd be a little bit more there. Uh, and, and the Steelers usually a pretty good matchup uh, on the season for fantasy tight end production. So that's a little disappointing. Absolutely. Washington goes on the road, gets a win against the Giants, 20-13. to Adrian Peterson kind of sealed it late with a 64-yard touchdown run uh, in the waning moments of that game. Gave him 149 yards on the day. The game script in this one for Peterson, it didn't seem like it would get away from him simply because the Giants haven't been firing on all cylinders offensively this season at a way that would make you think, oh, they're going to have a huge lead and Washington's going to have to play catch-up. So it was a pretty good setup for him from the start. Um, the thing that really surprised me, too, I mean, and I guess you, you take Damon Harrison off that defense, Alec Ogletree was hurt. They're going to become one of those run defenses that is significantly weaker for the second half of the season. Yeah. The main takeaway here is that Washington really kept Saquon Barkley in check on the ground. 13 carries for 38 yards, under three yards per carry. Barkley made it up in the passing game. He had nine catches for 73 yards on 10 targets. He was second behind Odell Beckham, who played really well, like eight for 136 on 11. But with Eli Manning, it's just, it's unbelievable. He was sacked seven times. He threw two interceptions in this game. And it's just, it's at the point where I, I don't think the Giants have any compelling reason to keep trotting him out there. I mean, they, they're at one and seven, you might as well take a look at, at Kyle Luletta, right? Uh, you got, you got to figure something out soon. I mean, you're already ripping apart the team. You might as well. I think Eli, you have to kind of get, make it clear to him. I mean, uh, there was a little weird backlash in New York about, you know, Oh, why are you taking Eli out? Well, you got to plan for the future. You're not playing for anything this season. Um, you feel the Giants offensive line versus the Redskins front was not a good matchup for the Giants to begin with. Uh, and now you have Eli who really can't push downfield relies on yards after the catch and then you have josh norman at least limiting odell beckham not necessarily you know snuffing him out but at least kind of having him be a little bit less effective after the catch that's not going to help your offense overall so yeah i think you kind of have to look at lalette at this point i mean you know that was using like a round four pick if i'm not mistaken i'm not really sure of his complete profile but why not just try to show us something in the future that you might have made a good decision somehow I just I can't believe they're one and seven. Like I would have thought, like three and five would have been mm-hmm. the record for the Giants. This division, games. Yeah. winless at home. Yeah. They played four home games. They are winless at home this season. Mm-hmm. It's a tough, tough achievement to unlock. As far as the Washington passing game, kind of circling back to their offense, still pretty messy. Jordan Reed had twelve targets, seven catches for thirty-eight yards. Kind of had the Jarvis Landry line, just the Washington version of that. Only 178 yards on 32 attempts for Alex Smith. So he was under six yards per attempt in a game that yeah. they ended up winning. I mean, in last year, he actually had one of his best YPAs. And now we see, you figure Washington, he would carry that over a little bit. And this, the Jay Gruden setup does not does not portend him to challenge that field much. So we're seeing a lot more of the the uh, stereotypical Alex Smith production instead of the one that might have elevated a Josh Doxson or, or Jameson Crowder or something like that. And, you know, you, you figure even Chris Thompson might have gotten more involved that way. And that didn't happen because they didn't need it. So my regret of the week, as far as spread picks go, is this, this game was a pick 'em at least in the pentathlon, which is on the Yahoo spread yep. picks thing. 
I, I have so much regret about picking the Giants. Like it, it took maybe ten minutes after that game kicked off yesterday, and I was just like, "What am I thinking? Like, why? I know they're at home, but why? Why? Why would I ever pick the Giants in a in a pick 'em sort of scenario?" <laughs> Let's move on to the Chiefs and Broncos. Chiefs thirty to twenty three winners at Arrowhead. Patrick Mahomes goes over three hundred yards, throws four touchdown passes Snooze. in this game. Yeah, it's a <laughs> shocker, right? Uh, did throw one interception. I think he's had uh, four in the last. Six, games, six in the last yep. four games. Mm-hmm. Six in the last four, I believe, is what it is. But he's playing at a very high level. The, the offense uh, this week really ran through Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey. Uh, mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey had the first touchdown of this one, six for 79 to score on 10 targets. Watkins went eight for 107 in two TDs on nine targets. Tyreek Hill just three for 70 on four. Kareem Hunt salvaged a, a quiet day on the ground. He was 16 carries for 50 yards on the ground with a five-catch, 36-yard performance, including a, a long touchdown where he was really uh, pretty impressive. He hurdled a defender to get into the end zone. So he ends up having a, a decent day despite a low yardage total on the ground. Uh, the Chiefs yeah. being good doesn't surprise me, Tim, but Philip Lindsay looks awesome. Like I am really impressed mm-hmm. when I watch Philip Lindsay, and he was a guy that really wasn't on our radar at all as a, as a fantasy community. I just think everybody was locked in on Royce Freeman, Thought maybe Devontae Booker would be the passing down back all season. Freeman's hurt right now, so Booker right. got on the field yesterday. Looked pretty good too, though. But yeah, I'm, run. Yeah. I'm just I'm just really impressed. Like Lindsey has really good burst, and yep. I am I'm surprised that just how good he is for how little people talked about him. Very elusive, definitely surprising. Uh, I was lucky to jump on him early in a few leagues, and it's worked out and saved some injury battered backfields here. Well, 5.7 yards a carry, I believe, for the season. Uh, even if he does keep sharing with Freeman, that explosiveness is going to keep him in flex territory, at least, or, or low-end RB2 all season. I will say for the Chiefs, uh, Tyreek Hill did suffer that groin injury, uh, so that kind of might have affected things with the Watkins situation a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's a very diverse offense. doesn't matter. The, Mahomes will find someone each week within that air raid offense to really just play the matchup and take what's given to him. Yeah, briefly, it looked like Emmanuel Sanders left this game with some kind of hand or wrist injury, yeah. but he was back out there on the final play. I saw him try to throw a lateral as the Broncos were kind of uh, grasping at straws, trying to keep that game alive. But to no end, I mean, they, at least they, they, the Chiefs didn't cover. It's like there, there's, there's, your, there's your small victory, your silver lining if you're the Broncos. The Chiefs didn't Yay. cover against you at home after embarrassing <laughs> the Bengals uh, just a week ago. Sammy Watkins, I saw some tweets this morning. Uh, he's been like the wide receiver 26, I believe, now for the season. And that's like a number three in most leagues and kind of a up and down three. But, yeah, if that, if that's what you're getting from him and, and you know, you're, you're kind of getting the high ceiling performances that put you over the top sometimes, I think you're pretty happy with that. Uh, the only thing that's a little strange is that Watkins' price was still fairly high in some drafts, too. So it wasn't like you got a big discount on him. But there's still a lot here for this offense to continue – you know, elevating guys like that. And if Tyreek Hill does miss some time with that groin injury, we prop up that target number a bit. You could see Watkins kind of inching his way into the top 15, top 20 wide receivers here for the next uh, several weeks. No word yet on severity that injury yeah. for Hill. Not a terrible proposition there. Obviously, it does rely on the Hill injury for the ceiling. And, you know, of course, if everyone's healthy, you're going to get those Demetrius Harris, those DeAnthony Thomas type of touchdowns that frustrate Watkins owners that are already going to have to deal with that limited uh, target share. Yeah, it's definitely tied to how long Hill will miss, if at all. Yeah, I um, I think he'll end up being okay, but I also have not heard anything consistently, like, good or bad yet on him. So further tests likely coming Monday for Tyreek Hill. The Bengals... 
almost blew a huge lead to the Bucks yesterday. James Winston got benched. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Bengals looked like they were bouncing back pretty nicely from a beatdown last week in Kansas City. And they, they, they get James Winston benched, four picks, five sacks for Jameis. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in in the second half, goes 11 for 15 for 194 and two touchdowns, 12.9 yards per attempt. At this point, if Tampa Bay has any designs on competing for a playoff spot this year, Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably the starter as long as he's healthy now, right? It, it has to be. Uh, Winston is not really showing that he's going to keep the ball safely. Uh, four, four picks again uh, this past week. I think that Fitzpatrick, had he had his flaws. He kind of had that, that comeback game that really kind of justified benching him for the moment. But you got to ping-pong it back if you're uh, – you know, if you have to look for that playoff berth here, three and four, you're still not technically out of it. So I, I think you have to go with uh, Fitzpatrick until you're eliminated from contention and make Winston prove that he still belongs in the team after that. Yeah, it's crazy that uh, it's been this bad. And, and with Fitzpatrick, I mean, we saw the wheels come off a little bit. That was against the Steelers way back in, in week three before the Jameis Winston suspension was up. But you have to look at him as a guy that utilizes the weapons in this offense just a little more effectively than James yep. does, too. Aside from protecting the ball, you know, Mike Evans, 6 for 179 and a score. Uh, Deshaun Jackson got a long TD. That was actually from James pretty early in the game, 3 for 68, a touchdown. But Jackson was playing really well when Fitzpatrick was starting earlier in the season. Chris Godwin got seven targets, only two catches for 32 yards. But this is a situation where if you are in a league where you know, there's 14 teams or more, Ryan Fitzpatrick might be an upgrade over what you're rolling out there at quarterback every week because, A, the weapons are good in the passing game, and, B, Tampa Bay's defense still looks very soft and exploitable. And with yep. that, you're going to have lots of attempts every single week. And yep. I, I think that's just a dream sort of scenario for Fitzpatrick right now. Yep, and you have Luck and Wentz and Dalton on by this week, so good time to kind of take that chance that they'll make a switch. Yeah, it's going to be scooping him up, I think, a lot of places. It'll be interesting to see, though, if they actually make that full commitment. I mean, Jameis Winston has the fifth-year option already picked up at just under $21 million. The commitment beyond that, though, has not been made. So yep. I, I'm really interested to see just what the Bucks want to do at the quarterback position. On the Cincinnati side, Joe Mixon ran really well, 21 carries, 123 yards, a couple of touchdowns. I uh, caught three passes for 15 yards as well. The top two receivers produced in reverse order. Tyler Boyd actually led the way, 9 for 138 and a score on 10 targets. A.J. Green, 5 for 76 and a score of his own on seven targets. The thing that made this game a little bit frustrating for A.J. Green owners was just that the Bengals had such a big lead for a while that they didn't really have to throw it that much in the second half. I think that's what kept A.J. Green from having a monster game. He merely just had a good one, but... Cincinnati, I think, is kind of legitimately a good offense, Tim. Do you think this is a they are. top 10 sort of offense right now under Bill Lazor? I've been saying it for a few weeks, the full season with Bill Lazor, the couple of improvements they made along the offensive line. I think it's just Dalton looking a little more comfortable with a system that's at least letting him challenge downfield a bit more. And, and I think Mixon just kind of stabilized this entire offense, being the presence that he is back there, uh, really let, making defenses commit to the run and working off play action. And Tyler Boyd has just been a revelation. I think everyone thought John Ross is going to be the guy, but – Boyd has the better complement of size and, um, you know, red zone weaponry and, and deep downfield stuff that that really kind of – he, he might have been the X factor that really made this whole thing click. I know Mixon being there was helpful, but having that second wideout that's really a weapon is uh, was huge. And, yeah, I, I think Dolan's just a little bit still underappreciated. I think he's a top 15 quarterback just about every week. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I just think the, the floor is really good. The defense isn't leaky the same way like Tampa Bay's defense is leaky. Cincinnati's defense has played well at times this year. Uh, but I just think the two main weapons in the passing game, even without Tyler Eifert, I think having Green and Boyd gives them a lot of balance and being able to run the ball well. Mixon taking a big step forward in year two. Uh, just a lot of positives right now with this Bengals offense. That's not something we often say, but they're 5-3 and three now as they reach the midway point of their season. At Fantasy Draft, we put players first. We've got super flexible lineups for the NFL. There's no kicker, and you can draft four running backs if you want. In NBA, the lineups are even more flexible. You want five guards and two centers? No problem. Lots of great contests are available, including the $100,000 Run and Gun Weekly Feature GPP. It's a $25 buy-in, big prize pool there. There are rake-free head-to-head contests under $200 or half the rake of the other guys for the rest. That means if you and a friend both enter a $100 head-to-head, the winner gets $200. Fantasy Draft takes no fees. There's a free $4 GPP ticket with your initial deposit. Just sign up with the referral code ROTOWIRE when you sign up. Again, Fantasy Draft, we put players first. Let's shift the focus over to Detroit, where I saw Lions fans on Twitter suggesting that they were confident going into this week, that they felt like maybe this was going to be a playoff year, and and maybe even a playoff year where they win a game in the postseason. And it still could be that, Tim. Like It's still possible that's what's going to happen, but... Just like the Bengals, the Lions are one of those teams that right as you go all in, right as you start to feel good about what they're doing, they punch you in the face and they do something that's just totally unexpected. In this case, they laid an egg at home. They lose 28-14 to a Seattle team that offensively looks out of sorts more often than not. But in this particular matchup, Russell Wilson only had to throw 17 passes. He was 14 of 17 for 248 and three TDs. Seattle had a 21-7 halftime lead and ended up coasting that 28-14 victory. Damon Harrison, uh, big addition to the defense, didn't pay off right away. Chris Carson had 25 carries for 105 yards and a score as well on top of the damage that Wilson did. What do you make of Seattle right now? Because this is a team that, with Brian Schottenheimer calling the shots especially, I had really kind of downgraded my my ceiling for uh, just a few weeks ago. Well, I think, the, you know, it's going to become, um, you know, it, or they, they've, they've mostly been a run-first team. just depends on who they've trusted each week, depending on matchup. I mean, you thought you thought uh, the addition of snacks to the Lions' uh, D-line would have helped, but um, not really so far. Maybe it's more of an adjustment to period than we expected. Uh, Chris Carson, you know, kind of churned out uh, a lot of possession for Seattle. And I think the Detroit really couldn't get their run game going against a, a team coming off its bye. I think we underestimated that a little bit with Seattle. I think that the week after the travel of the – they kind of needed that break, and you need Russell Wilson to kind of, you know, get a little bit more in rhythm here. And Wilson is just not really finding Doug Baldwin as much because of the fact that he maybe might not have as much burst with all the the lower body stuff that he's been dealing with. So I, I think it's a it's a weird Seattle offense. You don't want want to target a single guy each week. Maybe Tyler Lockett, but that's a stretch. Um, I think Detroit just kind of really couldn't possess, and they had to be the Lions of old, where Stafford had to sling it forty times. That hasn't really been their offensive identity recently. So. Really, a bunch of really uh, disjointed offensive kind of taking uh, display here. So one thing I think you have to do when you have a, a weird quarterback performance like the one Wilson had, which was a, a good, weird performance. I mean, he had a, yes. a 158.3 passer rating, so he was awesome. You have to double up the attempts or double up the target totals a little bit and get a better sense of like what, what the real distribution was. I mean, Because if you look at the, at the box score and you see Doug Baldwin, three targets, you're, you're furious. 
if you'd thrown it 34 times and you double up to three to get to six, you're like, okay, you had six targets. David Moore would have had eight if you just double everybody's. That's not as bad. It's just kind of a, a goofy game that, that kind of broke down this way. I thought coming off the bye, Baldwin was actually a strong DFS play because he had such a good game against the Raiders in London before the bye. Target volume in two of the three games before the bye was actually pretty normal for Doug Baldwin. So I thought this was a good spot for him. It just kind of worked out in a way. David Moore's touchdown was goofy. The defender they swatted it, it deflected awkwardly. He pulled that in. Ed Dixon scored in this one. He had two catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. His was in pretty tight coverage in the end zone, just reached over a smaller DB and took it away. Uh, Lockett you know, ran this nice little route, and coverage wasn't terrible. Wilson just made a good throw on that play. So Baldwin not getting in on the action. If Baldwin scores yesterday relative to everybody else, then it's not a big deal. It's just that he was not in on the scoring yesterday that made him, I think, even yeah. more and, frustrating for us. And I guess Darius Slay being on him, it seemed like he was on him for most of the game, so that probably hurt him a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the yeah. toughest matchup. So Seattle yeah. went away from that yesterday. As far as the Lions offense, you know, playing from behind, Matthew Stafford's attempts jumped back up. He was 27-40 for 310 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Both of those going to Marvin Jones. Uh, so if you were leaning on Golden Tate, you got 7 for 50 on 12 targets. So your your process wasn't bad. Kenny Galladay, one catch, 12 yards, one target. He was probably the biggest bust of the week in the Lions offense because on Johnson, while he was quiet on the ground, at least hauled in six passes for 69 yards to undo some of the uh, the damage as far as the lack of output on the ground. Yeah, uh, you know, people thought, you know, uh, he would assume most of the Theo Riddick workload with his injuries, so it's kind of uh, kind of worked out that way the last few weeks, so... You know, at least Amir Abdul is not carving out much of a role, thankfully, for Johnson's owners. And, and Blunt's still kind of, even though he had like a 23-yard reception, he's still kind of sticking to that that between-the-tackles grinder type of role. So Johnson, like you said, still got his. Uh, even if you're playing a non-PPR, he's still got 91 yards. So that's that's still pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty good. But uh, that was that was a big surprise for me that the Lions, not, a, not only just the lost at home, but lost by double digits to Seattle. I mean, the bye week certainly helps, but I just... I don't know. I didn't see that game coming at all. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Let's talk about the Bears and the Jets. Jets a very banged up team right now. So the line on this one, I think, was the Bears favored by eight when I last saw it close. They ended up winning by 14, 24-10. The, the Bears are, are, are kind of a, a mess right now because Allen Robinson was banged up, and yet they still found a way to get something out of the passing game. Anthony Miller, 3-for-37 on a TD on a team-high seven targets. Tariq Cohen scores on a long pass play, mm-hmm. a 70-yard touchdown, basically making value for the week on one play. Again, 110 yards from scrimmage along with that touchdown on just six touches. You can't rely on it week-to-week week as far as that volume being yeah. that low and the output being that good, but Tariq Cohen is a matchup nightmare for opposing teams, and Matt Nagy continues to find ways to exploit that. 
he's one of those justifiable low volume go every week guys. Uh, it's it. I always find it so difficult to tell people not to play him, but you know, you mostly have to focus on the PPR aspect. And he didn't even need he needed the one catch this week, so I figured this would be a Jordan Howard week because you know the game flow would have favored the Bears because they're playing the Jets and all that. Even with Khalil, even with Khalil Mack inactive, I think it, that kind of did play out that way with 22 carries for Jordan Howard. So. There are ways this backfield can coexist in terms of fantasy production. I think it's one of this – I don't want to say safer ones to do that, but I think there's a lot of the weekly potential of that happening. So I do look at it as a non-PPR versus PPR situation if you if you happen to own both. So it's a, it's a fun – and it's an offense that doesn't rely on Allen Robinson. So I didn't really think much of that when it came to the overall performance of Trubisky this week. Yeah, Trubisky ended up with 220 and a couple of TDs. Also ran for 51 yards. So it's always nice going to help. Performance yep. from him. Yeah, he's – He's way more mobile. Like I don't know why people would even assume that he's not mobile, but he, he runs very well. So you've got to keep that in, in as part of the floor when you're looking at Trubisky week in and week out. On the Jets side of this one, Chris Herndon had two targets, caught one for a touchdown. So <laughs> yep. if you punted, he punted at tight end this week, you were just desperate for something, well, he actually turned up a little value for you at the uh, at, at a very limited role. Jermaine Curse had a team-high 10 targets, three catches for 30 yards. So it's two weeks in a row now where people have looked at him as maybe a, a cheap volume play in PPR leagues and in DFS contests. And twice now, I and mean, this time not as bad as last time, he's been a disappointment. Yeah, it's a tough cornerback matchup this week. I mean, the Bears do have the, the Fuller, Fuller and, and Amukamara as the solid guys. And I think that Curse needs... Another weapon there to kind of take attention off him. I don't think Curse is good enough to carry as the number one receiver in offense. So I think it's some some weeks, you know, people, you, you go to the volume opportunities and like, but he might be better off facing the, the weaker corner and getting more one-on-one coverage. And, you know, I, I think it's one of those cases where, where the more guys that are healthy, the more it actually helps a guy like Curse usually because he's an afterthought and you find him open sometimes. So I think, yeah, Curse is one of those guys that you actually don't want him to be the centerpiece of an offense. No, you definitely don't. <laughs> Deontay Burnett led the way with uh, four catches and 61 yards on just four targets. The rookie out of USC stepping up with all the injuries the Jets had in their uh, receiving core this week. Sam Darnold, 14 for 29, 153 yards and a touchdown. Uh, chipped in with 22 rushing yards as well. Isaiah Crowell with the backfield kind of to himself, didn't do a lot with it. 13 carries, 25 yards, under two yards per carry. Yep. Uh, he caught one pass for 13 yards. Trenton Cannon, had six carries, only 10 yards with those. So he wasn't any more effective on the ground, but he actually had four targets to Crowell's one. So it gives you a sense of where they're at as far as the pass-catching opportunities go. Sands, Bilal Powell in well, that Jets offense. It's going to be Elijah McGuire, I think, if he's if he's ready to return this week. Yeah, I, I would sure. keep an eye on Elijah McGuire from, uh, from that perspective uh, because he, the experience he has, a little more time in that system, would probably give him the leg up over a guy like Cannon anyway. Let's uh, move on to the Panthers and Ravens. Panthers, 36-21 winners. This game was not supposed to be anything close to a blowout, and and Carolina opened up a pretty big lead in the second quarter. It was 24-7 at halftime. Cam Newton, 21-29 of for 219, a couple of touchdowns. Also ran 10 times for 52 yards and a score. Christian McCaffrey, 14 carries, 45 yards, one rushing score. There was a play where it kind of looked like the <coughs> Ravens defense just lost him behind the, the Panthers' yep. line. And then there was a, a receiving touchdown, which banked off a defender. It was four, four catches, 11 yards, but a touchdown. So hardly a good yardage day for Christian McCaffrey. But if you rolled him out there in a GPP or if you just played him in season long, you came away pleasantly surprised with a two-touchdown performance. Yeah, pleasantly surprised. Um 
I was wondering if McCaffrey, McCaffrey would have a better go because it hit him on some swing pass or something. But the Ravens defense is kind of quick still in their front seven, so not necessarily something that would have been a guarantee there. But yeah, it's just you got a lucky break in this one and, and celebrate it and enjoy it if you're if you're a shareholder. <laughs> yeah, if you got DJ Moore, you might be feeling really good about what mm-hmm. the second half of the season could look like from him. I mean, he had two yep. carries for 39 yards plus. Six targets, which actually tied McCaffrey for the team lead yesterday. Five catches, 90 yards. Just looked really explosive. I mean, this is a guy that has a lot of speed. If North Turner is going to find creative ways to get the ball into his hands, it could really eat away at the value of Devin Funchess, who, when Greg Olson was out, was really the number one receiver and getting pretty good volume. But just three catches, 27 yards yesterday for Funchess. You know, Moore and Olson both being out there, McCaffrey being the lead back and then Newton still doing his thing really makes it tough for Funchess week in and week out to be relied on as a good season-long option. Yeah, I also mean back just kind of take the red zone stuff away. Even though he scored with him, I believe, last week, uh, they were on the field at the same time, and, and Funchess also scored earlier. But, yeah, I think Funchess is more so maybe more that that, that deep threat uh, guy. It's funny because he's a, he's a big receiver. You think he'd be a possession guy, but he really hasn't played out that way. And more like like you said with Olsen and Moore back, there's kind of the ways they can they can creatively control the passing game with with more kind of on those mid range routes or like an end around or something. And he's got the talent to kind of handle the ball after the catch or after the handoff that way. So yeah, Funches, you know, and you you, were, you shouldn't have been going in expecting more than wide receiver three weekly production from Funches unless he scores a touchdown. So it, it's kind of the same thing back to normal. You know, he'll be useful down the stretch, but. Might be some more frustrating games like this for sure. Yeah, it was a nice discounted player based on yep. the Olsen injury earlier in the season, but now he's kind of trending back to the fringe, can I start him every week sort of play that you thought he was when you drafted him. Yep. The Ravens offense uh, underperformed in a pretty big way. I mean, Carolina's defense is, is not bad, but I certainly didn't expect to see you know only one Ravens pass catcher get up over 50 yards. It was Willie, Willie Sneed that had a team-high 11 targets, 5 for 54 from Sneed. Joe Flacco got benched late in this game. I don't think that's an indication that they're not going to start him next week or anything like that. But Lamar Jackson, 4 for 5, 46 yards, and a touchdown. He found Hayden Hurst late in that game in garbage time. Alex Collins had a rushing score, 11 for 49 for him on the ground. No carries for Javorius Allen, but he had three catches for 18 yards, and he found the end zone as well. So it kind of looks like a pretty clear-cut sort of committee with those two guys, but it's a committee in that, Collins is the main runner, and Allen's the primary pass catcher, but Collins doesn't completely lose all opportunities in those situations. Yeah, it's a weird backfield. I actually stashed Kenneth Dixon in a couple leagues where you have an IR spot. I'm wondering if maybe he gets involved a little bit more, if Collins kind of stalls a little bit. But Collins looked pretty good in this one uh, against a solid defensive line, so I think he's kind of rolling back into <clears throat> at least flex territory every week now. And Allen, Allen's weird because, you know, it's he's usually the better pass protector. The Ravens haven't had to – to, to use the pass blocking as much because they've kind of controlled most of the games or been with, you know, in close range in some games. So this one, they had to come back a little bit. Allen got a little bit more involved. So I think maybe, you know, Allen's definitely a game script dependent running back here in fantasy. So let's go out to Oakland. The Colts come away 42, 28 road winners against the Raiders. Raiders fall to one and six under John Gruden. This was the first week in which they did not have Marshawn Lynch and Amari Cooper in their offense. So it was Doug Martin who took over the backfield, 13 carries, 72 yards. Average over five yards per carry, so he was much better than I expected him to be. Uh, Jalen Richard had just two carries for 14 yards, made a lot of his contributions, though, in the passing game, where he caught eight of, all eight of his targets for 50 yards. So heavy involvement for Richard in that facet, definitely a bump up in his value in PPR leagues. 
for now, looks like Martin can kind of keep him off the field in some obvious running situations. We'll see if that holds up in the weeks ahead. As far as the adjustments to the passing game, Jordy Nelson, who I think a lot of people looked at as cash viable, one catch, 14 yards on four targets. Jared Cook, four for 74 and a score on five targets. Seth Roberts, two for 42. And Brandon LaFell, three for 39 and a score. Amazingly, Martavis Bryant with the blue Tarski. He doesn't even appear in the box score because he didn't even have a target. Oh, uh, well, for a team that can't throw the ball downfield, does that really surprise you? No, I, I, I threw one GPP dart on Martavis Bryant, but I wasn't going after That's him in season it. long leagues last That's week. That's where you do it, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if he does take a shot downfield, if Carr does throw one downfield, he probably is going to throw it to Bryant, but it's, it's it hard to justify it. And I, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I didn't have him all over the place the way some people did because it turned out to be a big disappointment. The one that was surprising was just Nelson. I mean, one for 14 on four targets. I would have thought maybe he'd be closer to like seven or eight targets this week. Uh, I, I will say Derek Carr had an 8.7 YPA, so maybe maybe the, maybe coming out of the bye without those guys, maybe it's just you feel a little more comfortable coming out. So uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's going to be that way most of the year, but he's actually had some decent YPA numbers there in some of these individual games. It just seems like he's checking down or just not really showing much effect in his downfield. But yeah, he, he actually has him. Hesitant to throw into tough coverage, especially. That's probably it. Yeah. You know, doesn't, doesn't make those throws where he's throwing anybody open, and I think that's that's going to work against someone that doesn't get as much separation, which I think is what Jordy Nelson Jordy. is at this yep. stage of his career. Although, is Brandon LaFell getting any more separation than Jordan than Jordy Nelson? I would I wouldn't think so. Uh, Jalen Richard on swing passes is your best uh, separation there. Right, he's just <laughs> yeah. There's, there's there is there's no coverage. <laughs> he's just in the flat. <laughs> the uh, the Colts in this one obviously played pretty well. They put up 42 points. So Andrew Luck goes 22-31 for 239, three touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks. So the toothless Oakland pass rush mm-hmm. remains very toothless. If you're uh, looking for good gumming, check with the Oakland pass rush. The uh, Marlon Mack performance was impressive. 25 carries, 132 yeah. yards, two touchdowns, caught a couple of passes for 17 yards as well. He looks like a legitimate like top 12, top 15 running back with like an up arrow next to him, and he's playing really well right now. The only concern I think you have is that Naheem Hines isn't really going away, and Hines can do a lot of the same things Mack can do. So over seven yards per carry yesterday for Hines, had a couple of catches of his own. How do you value Mack going forward? I, think it, uh, I don't want to say it's game script because I do think Mack, with this improved offensive line, the Colts offensive line might be, one, might be the most improved line in the league. Um, they've really made some good changes. Quentin Nelson being drafted was a huge plus for the interior. Uh, Anthony Costanzo finally healthy. Mac, definitely a player I sorely whiffed on this year. I thought it would be a Wilkins Hines type of weekly thing, but you know, Mac, I think he's had some ankle stuff too, or, or some lower body stuff recent years, and that's just he looks fresh, man. I mean, say what you want about Oakland's defense not being uh, um, any, you know, not providing any sort of good resistance there, but I think Mac really has that burst back and. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a he's a borderline RB one, RB two most weeks, and I don't think game flow is going to really care about that because I think the Colts are just more confident to run it now, regardless. As far as the passing game goes, Jack Doyle was back six for seventy and a touchdown and seven yep. targets. Eric Ebron three for thirty seven and a score, but only three targets. So we'll have to watch and see how they kind of coexist in the weeks ahead. As far as the distribution goes, Dontrell Inman, who plays for the Colts, in case you may have forgotten. Had six catches for 52 yards and seven targets. I forgot Don Trillian was a cool yep. <laughs> until I saw him out there yesterday. And then T.Y. Hilton uh, kind of disappointed everybody. One catch for 34 yards on five targets against a, a Raiders defense that 
doesn't really stop the run or stop the pass effectively. It seemed like a pretty good spot for Hilton to put up a big day, but it was a quiet one for him. Yeah, from what I saw, they might have been bracketing him a lot, and, and Luck, again, just not really forcing the ball to anyone. And Luck, and Luck is just playing really well right now as well. He's just kind of seeing things so efficiently. Now that they have a running game, I think it's helping him. <laughs> Mo Ali Cox also scored for the Colts <laughs> in this one. That was an early Everyone's touchdown. Everyone's favorite. That was, that was one of those touchdowns that happened early on red zone. I looked at it and I was like, what? Mo Ali? Like, is this a real player? Is this a typo? Like, what? What is the going create on? Create a player here? touchdown, basically. The create a player touchdown. <laughs> well, you know, I imagine when you do create yourself or something yeah. like that. Someone, some like some guy named Mo Ali Cox just created himself and happened to score in an NFL game. So. Yeah, like some kind of Madden glitch <laughs> resulted in a create a player being like on the field in a real life scenario, and it, it like broke the red zone channel for the, a small period of time. There's a leak in the matrix between those Madden simulations they do it before every game, and it happened to appear. Let's move on to the Cardinals. Anyway, and Niners. 18-15 is the final. Cardinals come away with their second win of the season. Kind of an ugly game. And this one, I'm going to fully admit, I didn't really see anything from this game because it was overlapping the Packers-Rams matchup. So uh, lots of um, lots of ugly lines here to break down. David Johnson got 100 yards from scrimmage on 20 touches. That's a small victory. That is a small step in the right direction. Uh, Byron Leftwich taking over as the offensive coordinator, of course from Mike McCoy. We'll see what the next few weeks bring, but you probably feel a little better today than you yep. did a week ago with uh, David Johnson. Larry Fitzgerald bounced back and from a really slow start to the season, 8 for 102 and a score on 12 targets. Christian Kirk, 3 for 42 and a score on 7 targets. So, you know, half of what Josh Rosen put up in the air went to one of those two guys. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Targets yep. going in the direction of David Johnson also makes a lot of sense. So maybe... Just maybe, Tim, we're getting to a point where Arizona's going to start doing some things that are more logical with that coordinator change. Yeah, I mean, I think San Francisco is a good team to trial this out and have it succeed immediately. So maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it, it, it's the matchup driven, sure. But yeah, Byron Left, which was a little more creative. Of course, it's not hard to be more creative than Mike McCoy on uh, an NFL offensive standpoint. You know, Johnson was out in the slot a couple of times. Uh, Christian Kirk proved he can kind of work from the outside, as, as Mario wrote in his uh, reactions piece. Uh, just a really good balance and, you know, a good trio working now um, of, of receiving weapons if, if you count David Johnson on there, which you should because it's the best way to get him involved uh, with his offensive line not being much help. So, yeah, definitely a good outlook for Josh Rosen in two QB leagues for sure moving forward here. It's a little more comfortable to play him. You can expect him to at least not wreck your team most weeks now. Yeah, 252 and two touchdowns, certainly a decent Solid. performance here. Uh, C.J. Beathard, 14-28 for 190 and a score. That went to Marquise Goodwin, a 55-yard touchdown pass to Goodwin, his only catch on four targets. George Kittle, 5-57 on eight targets. And Kendrick Bourne led the way. Seven catches, 71 yards, 10 targets. No Pierre Garçon in this game. Uh, surprise for me was kind of twofold with the backfield. One, Alfred Morris was getting carries again when it seemed like he was getting phased out. Uh, and two, we didn't see any, that much of Raheem Mostert, who the last couple of weeks kind of looked like he might be a useful, at least complimentary piece in the backfield. Yeah, I had him as a bi-week replacement this week. That Luckily, I won the rest of the matchup, but it did not go well. And Another another close game that he, I guess they wanted to rely on the veteran presence of Morris to kind of uh, you know not fumble the ball or something. So I think Mostert lost a fumble last week, so maybe that was kind of working in their head as well. So, But Matt Breida on the interior was not working. I was very surprised they tried to really pound that. Let's shift the focus now to the Packers and Rams. Rams 29-27 winners. Maybe because Ty Montgomery went a little rogue on the kickoff at the end of the game and tried to run a kickoff out of the end zone. It was like three yards deep and fumbled 
uh, which, you know, if he just gets tackled, then we're not even having this conversation. We're talking about what happened on the ensuing drive. But I think the coaching staff told him to take the knee in the end zone to just give Aaron Rodgers a shot from the 25 with the Packers only needing a field goal. So pretty costly error on a day where I think the Packers defense showed up and did all the things you need to do to beat the Rams. Like you're going to, if you beat the Rams, you may have to score 30 points, but that means you kept them under 30. And I thought Jairegs Alexander played really well. I thought the front was really effective getting pressure on Jared Goff, especially in the first half of that game. And one little turning point in this one that really kept it uh, in reach for the Rams at halftime was just that Johnny Hecker had a punt and they pinned the Packers inside the one just before halftime, got a safety, then got a touchdown before halftime to make it 10 to 8. If that game's 10 nothing and that safety doesn't happen, it's a totally different feel throughout the second half of this game as well. So I'm going back through it and, you know, Jamal Williams vultured a TD from. Jimmy Graham, essentially. Graham scored uh, on the initial play, but then it was called back just inside the one. Uh, and they tried to target him again, missed him, and then Jamal Williams punched it in from less than a yard out. But Aaron Jones, 12 for 86 and a touchdown, three times as many carries as Williams. That's certainly a good sign. You know, We didn't see Williams catching passes. We saw Jones get targeted a couple of times, didn't do anything with those targets, but Maybe, just maybe, this running game is finally going in the right direction as far as the distribution of touches between Jones and Williams. Well, that's the way you keep Jared Goff off the field as much as possible as well. I think Aaron Jones was their best option to do that. He is their best interior runner. Um, they, you know, Jamal Williams is more the pass-blocking pass type of guy there, and Ty Montgomery gets involved in the crazy situation where they really need to come back. And this being the, 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 the tight game it was for most of it, Aaron Jones is, is how you work the clock, how you move. So... Jones, you, you hope Jones gets 15 touches per week, and that's probably still going to be number one in this backfield most of the time. So it's it was basically the ideal flow that worked out for Jones for, for the for the shareholders who actually decided to play him. And, yeah, he scored also. Uh, so, you know, that builds on an already efficient day. He's a guy that can average five yards a carry on limited work. So definitely flex every week, you know, flex uh, consideration every week because of that potential. Monster game from Devonte Adams as well, five for yep. one thirty-three, just on seven targets. Rodgers only threw it thirty times in parks. They had that lead, and just the way this game kind of flowed. But Randall Cobb was back. Jarnell Allison was back. Allison wasn't really that much involved, but Randall Cobb four for forty on five targets. Allison one for fourteen and one. Looks like Marquez Valdez Scantling has maybe pushed his way into a more permanent battle for that number three receiver spot. You know, behind Adams and Cobb. With Graham still being a pretty reasonable part of the game plan, though, I think the production's going to be kind of hit and miss for Valdez-Scantling yep. as long as that whole trio in front of him remains healthy. I agree. It, it seemed like for a while the Packers' defense actually kept Todd Gurley in check, and eventually Todd Gurley is going to get you 195 total yards on 31 touches, 25 carries, and 6 catches. Uh, found the end zone once. You know This guy is just unbelievable right now, and he's in a perfect situation with the Rams where they use him in an optimal sort of way. But when you start looking at the other performances, Cooks, 374 on eight targets. I, I thought Cooks was a guy that was going to give this defense fits, and Alexander was a big part of the answer to him. Robert Woods, 5 for 70 on seven targets. I mean, useful fantasy days, getting over 70 yards for a receiver, but certainly not the, the feast that I thought this team was going to have. It was actually Josh Reynolds who scored... Uh, the other two Jared Goff touchdowns, Curley had the one. 342 on five targets for Reynolds. Tight ends didn't really get involved. Uh, this was a really good game, and it's just frustrating from 
the perspective of a Packer fan, they didn't get a better result from it. Right. Uh, the secondary is really coming around, and I, I think you kind of nailed it with Alexander's performance there. Uh, you know, they, they, have, they have a good coverage linebacker pairing in Blake Martinez as well, so I think that's that's the way you, you can control this Rams offense to keep you know to go keep them from going over the top on you. So I think that's really kind of what played into things here. And Reynolds was the kind of what got a lot of the one-on-one matchups there, so I think that probably helped him more. They were obviously accounting for Cooks doing that breakaway style stuff, and and the Packers don't have the worst pass rush. I, I think it's you know it's a pretty good one. I think the run defense is a little bit more acclaimed. Uh, Kenny Clark's been really good there, but you know the Rams don't have a. Uh, they don't. They don't have a shaky offensive line, so that's a to control the pace there along the trenches at least for a little while is a it's a, it's a big achievement, and it's kind of a step forward for this Packers defense moving forward that might be a little bit more resistant uh, to fantasy performances moving forward. Yeah, rare to feel optimistic following a loss, but a lot of things went right yesterday for Green Bay, even though the lack of an opportunity for Rodgers with the two minute drill ended up being the final straw in that Rams victory. Let's take a look at the Sunday night matchup. This game overlapped the uh, the Red Sox winning the World Series, so. That was uh, poorly timed as far as viewing goes. But the Saints come away 30-20 to 20 road winners in Minnesota, getting some revenge for the Minnesota miracle a year ago. It's still not the same. Like I mean, nope. yeah, the Saints are up to 6-1. and one. They're positioning themselves to have uh, maybe the number two seed in the NFC playoffs. So, you know, once we get to that point, again, it's still early. We're not even eight games in for some teams yet. But they win and put up 30 points on a night where Drew Brees only threw for 120 yards. Like That's a pretty <laughs> odd sort of occurrence for the Saints. Not really. Um, we, you know, they haven't had Ingram this year, but you know, last year, of course, it's not going to be that. It's not mostly that uh, exaggerated as 120 yards, but you know, Drew Brees is more like a 200-250 yard quarterback last year because of the uh, Mark Ingram-Alvin Kamara pairing. I think they're, you know, they, they combined for, you know, a I would have to say at least 170 uh, scrimmage yards yesterday, the two of them. So that's kind of the plan they want to work with, I think, to keep Breeze in check, keep Breeze healthy, and then have him sling it when they need to. Uh, and, of course, Taysom Hill getting involved is going to chip away a little bit more at Breeze's upside, even though probably not much on occasion. It just seems that way because he had a 44-yard pass. But this is a running team. This isn't the, the Slingham Saints that, that, that we want them to be for fantasy anymore. I think that's you know kind of why – those two guys are kind of dominating now. Michael Thomas gets the rest, and then it's kind of a of a of a you know a carousel from there, uh, based on what's going to get leftovers with the targets. I mean, Kamara ended up having the, the better day of the two backs because he scored. He had twenty total touches, a couple touchdowns, uh, just seventy six yards from scrimmage. I, I can't figure it out, but I feel like I keep <laughs> overestimating the Vikings. They're still four three and one. They're they're not right. a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but defensively, they really haven't been the same team that they were uh, a year ago. I think that's where the the issue really comes in. Uh, Kirk Cousins, you know, was sacked four times, picked off once, finished with 359 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Diggs and Thielen both going over 100 yards, both scored. Thielen's now gone over 100 yards in eight straight games. He's now tied with Kelvin Johnson for the all-time record in uh, consecutive games over 100 yards. So he's been just amazing this season. And I, I look at this team and I'm thinking, okay, they're doing this without Dalvin Cook, which Davies Murray continues to be an ample sort of fill in too. They're down one weapon, but I think the biggest question for this team as they try to look ahead to the second half is figuring out how to fix the problems on defense, getting more consistency from their pass rush and and getting better play throughout the entire secondary as well. Yeah, um I, I think the fact they lost Mike Hughes is hurting them, at least for the depth purposes. I mean Rose hasn't really been been the same for much of the year. I mean I think Everson Griffin's absence has hurt the pass rush, but him coming back of course was a big step last night to improving that. 
Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird because I think the personnel still very much the same. I think Anthony Barr might have been out, right? So that was a big that was a big loss for them. Uh, for that that jerk. Yeah. So yeah, your favorite guy. Not yeah. not a real popular guy. <laughs> but I think I think it's still a piece that Minnesota you know could be better with in, in tow there. So. Yeah, it's definitely they seem a little bit more vulnerable, at least in the middle of the field. Uh, the yards after catch have been a little bit more this year, it seems like. So, yeah, it's uh, not the same Vikings uh, defense we're used to. And, you know, the Saints do have a great offensive line as well. So that's a really good uh, good, good protection for Breeze. And they allowed this offense to kind of develop what they wanted to. So uh, sunny days might be ahead for them a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, they need to they need to get some things right uh, in the at least with the linebackers. Let's talk about the Monday night matchup. A couple news items pertaining to that. Sony Michelle out tonight. Not a big surprise there. That was kind of expected. Rob Gronkowski still on track to play. Uh, I would still, until the end of the night, have Charles Clay on my roster as the pivot if you just needed to have something available to replace Gronk in the event of an unlikely last-second last scratch. You just want to play yeah. it extra safe if you can. If you are going to play a single game slate tonight, you know who are you leaning on as your your key player, either the captain in showdown or or your MVP if you're playing over on FanDuel. Yeah, it's I, I think I don't know if it's going to be a popular player. If it's going to be the one that kind of does go against a little bit of a pivot here, I, I can see one of the running backs really being that guy. I think Kenyon Barner is the one that may, many people might try to be cute with, and it's kind of still my lead projection to stand out in a GPP field to be. Hoping that the Patriots get a big lead and Barner kind of carries it in the second half there. But, you know, you, you might be better off just getting the guys who get the lead in the first place and not have to just rely on the guys that might be running out clock. Maybe James White's the guy to go with with all those catches um, that I would imagine he would be getting replacing some of that Michelle role. So Brady, of course, you know, you do want to step up the quarterback into the six point touchdown in most of these setups. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's White, Michelle or Brady for me. You got to kind of keep it in that way because they'll vary the, the receiving production a little too much for New England. I look at the games like, okay, so I'm kind of going back over the old Brady game logs, and there's a couple blowouts that have, have been – have transpired between these two teams. One was last year, 23-3 to in Buffalo. Brady only threw it 30 times, 258, was picked off once. He was sacked three times. They still won by 20. Right. Like that, that's <laughs> the sort of game script that I'm kind of expecting for tonight. I just – even with LaShawn McCoy clearing the concussion protocol and looking like he's going to play – this is a very flawed Bills team right now, and I think they're going to have all sorts of difficulty moving the ball against the Patriots' defense. So as I kind of look through and figure out, like, okay, like where where is the production coming from? It probably is going to be from the backs. In that meeting that I'm referring to from last year, Deion Lewis had 15 carries for 92 yards. Rex Burkhead, 12 for 78 in a couple of touchdowns. Uh, James White caught four passes for 32 yards. Gronk had a big night, nine for... 147, so that's not a big surprise. It's a little different now because they've got uh, both Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon back. And we know the Patriots are one of those teams, Tim. Like They're not going to go start running the ball too early. They're going to go nuts. Like If they're going to score 38 points or 45 points, they're going to do it. They don't care. They don't don't worry about being nice and and just running the ball to run the clock out. That's the thing. That's what what the Barner risk holds there. I think it's a, a James White is looking better by the second we talk about this actually. Yeah, I mean James White's a really good player, but I, I just think part of what makes him pop most weeks is a good close game where he's creating a mismatch they have to lean on a lot. They might not have to lean on that quite as much. So Barner is kind of interesting. I, I might be tempted to just make it Gronk. Like and just say, you know what? It's gonna be a big Gronk night. It's Gronk back in Buffalo at home. You know, it, it, that that's 
that's the kind of narrative you're looking for. But more importantly, it's a matchup nightmare that hasn't really paid off yet. Like the lack of opportunities for him in the red zone has been one of the biggest surprises this season. Rob Gronkowski has what one red zone target this season. Like that's, that's got to end. That, that has to end in a big way too. Yeah. Uh, and of course, being the tight end is a good way to kind of play off the running game that might not be there. So, so I also assume like, as you think about matchups, like Josh Gordon's going to see a good bit of, of Davis white. white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Edelman would be the, the underneath guy that ends up with the better matchup. So I think if you wanted to go Edelman, if you wanted to go Barner for something kind of different, you want to go Gronk as kind of the chalky way or Brady as the chalky way. Those are the angles to take. I mean, DraftKings might be James White for the full PPR. Yeah, because you got to think about the full PPR and, and the way the pricing changes too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think I can even make a case for a bill in in the in the captain uh-huh. role. I, I like I like the showdown slates with good close matchups, and this is not it's not supposed to be one. So <laughs> right. it just makes it kind of weird because you feel like you're you're just loading up on the team that's going to win and trying to find just that right little path to get something a little bit different. So it could be. Yeah. One of those goofy nights in, in showdown where a lot of expected sort of chalky things actually happen, and that makes it kind of frustrating for me. Uh, a, lot, to, a lot of split pots there, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> lo, yes, exactly. Yeah, like shared <laughs> shared prizes. Like, yeah. eh, it's not really not really my yeah. thing. Yeah, Tim, uh, what else are you working on? Uh, got uh, the Wednesday Wire on Facebook Live this week at one p.m. Eastern. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do a Facebook Live uh, on Tuesday if, if there's any trade deadline stuff. So you know, after four, like around four thirty-five p.m. Eastern, I'll announce on Twitter. If anything big goes down, I'll hop on and talk about a few things. You guys can ask questions there as well um, about waiver wire stuff because I think I want to combine those two things into one because it's gonna be a busy day. It seems like tomorrow, if the trade shatter becomes the way it's gonna be, um, I'm gonna see you in Arizona uh, later this week uh, for the first pitch forums baseball stuff. Uh, John and I are usually required to get a baseball reference in at least one each podcast. And the one you mentioned, I don't like, so I'm going to mention the, the fantasy baseball stuff that we're going to be going to a conference in Phoenix. So I will be out next Monday uh, on the pod on this podcast. So hopefully John and, and whatever much more capable stuff he finds will do a great job for everybody. So uh, hope to see you guys uh, after the week 10 action. Yeah. I myself so. will be gone Thursday, Friday. So subs will be lined up then. So lots of subs, but we got a good bench. So it's all going to be yep. Just Deep fine bench. while we're away. Listeners of this podcast can get a free 10-day trial to Rotowire at rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card is required. With that, you can check out all the features on the site. Again, rotowire.com slash pod, P-O-D. If you like this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you leave us a nice rating and review. Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Fantasy Draft. Jake and John are back with you on Tuesday to talk waiver wire players. For Tim Heaney, I'm Derek Van Riper. See you next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. 
Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.